My guest today is Michael Katata. Finding photography late in college didn't hurt him a bit. He worked 25 years at the Orange County Register, moving into education, teaching at Biola University. Michael is teaching his students the real-world lessons he learned. Before we get started, we have a quick sponsor to hear from. Just a good conversation, podcast number 11. Today, my guest is Mike Katada. Michael, thanks for stopping by. This is awesome. My pleasure. Great to be here. Man, you are uh, you are evolved. You have changed from the traditional photojournalist lifestyle of years at the register to now teaching it. If you don't evolve, you die, <laughs> right? So I, I looked, I read a book back in my mid-40s that talked about not waking up one day and regretting that you didn't do what you really wanted to do. And so I decided to leave photojournalism and I was going to be my own man. And I left in 2007, right before the big recession. Great timing. (laughs) And and I got hurt. (laughs) Well, yes. Did you grow up as a kid around photography? Um, I didn't. Uh, My... My whole family wasn't built of artists or anybody, but they always, the cameras kind of gravitated to me. And Interesting. Yeah. Did uh, dad have the camera? He had a Polaroid. They bought a Polaroid. They bought a movie camera. I think that camera, was mandatory. Kinda, yeah, everybody yeah. had to have one. And so I was like, hey, what if I put the axis on a diamond, you know, turned the camera so it was a diamond yeah. and I took stupid pictures like that. And I was always playing with it. And then when I started dating my uh my wife, uh, oh my gosh, that was a long time ago. And her dad was into photography and he's like, well, here, you're not going to be the pictures. Why don't you take the pictures? And so eventually she bought me a camera for my 19th birthday. And wow. uh, yeah, an old Minolta who, who SRT 201. <laughs> <laughs> who would think your future father-in-law is the one that like sparks I, it? I know. Well, he was a journalist and oh, where? Uh, in the Navy. Oh, he was a awesome. Yeah, he worked on a newspaper in uh, on a ship in Okinawa, and uh, he just had this desire to talk about stories and do things. And so when I started showing any interest in photography, he was all excited. And then I was a music major in college. Realized, hey. I'm not good enough to make any money at this. And I don't want to teach. That was my mantra. Right. And so I said, I'll take some classes in photography. And the bug bit. But I swore, I I should never swear, uh, that I would never do photojournalism. And my teacher was little old George Fukushawa, who was a commercial photographer, industrial photographer. And he had shot some pictures at like the L.A. 32 Olympics. Was it the 32 Olympics? Yeah, something like that. And so all of our stuff was very, you know, I learned how to process and all of that. But I didn't have this love for journalism. But then he retired and um, Pat... Uh, O'Donnell came into the program who was working at the Daily Pilot. And right, so yeah. he started giving us photojournalist things to do and to learn. What and, a shift between yeah. you know, industrial commercial to photojournalism. You couldn't get one more 80 than that. Exactly. And the one guy was like, you know, I don't know how old he was. He seemed like 
ancient. He was right. probably 65. Right. Looked and, like 110. Yeah. And O'Donnell comes in and he's probably in his 50s at that point or 40s. And he'd been at the pilot for 20 years and he was a total news hound. Wow. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. And so, you know, we're just learning this stuff. And then they brought in some guy um, that was kind of a fine art photographer and he was teaching us um, large format. I remember my first picture, my first print, he put a put a pin right through it because it was so bad and uh that's yeah. happened to many photographers yes. many yes so I, I my journey in photography was like okay so now you have to get an internship you got to do an internships or you can't graduate and this is all evolving while you're at cal yeah. state fullerton and so i'm like well what's left and of course i drug my feet until the last minute the only thing left was this little paper the saddleback valley news down in um, mission viejo and so i go down there and the guy's like well, yeah, we can we can take you on. And it's a guy who had been there for like 25 years, and he was a fine art photographer. So the 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 um, the new editor there was like, well, this guy kind of bugs me because he'll go to a, a, a car crash and say the light wasn't right. I didn't take any pictures. <laughs> now, what year is this? This is back in like 84. So I graduated in 85. Okay. Michigan is still a new town. Totally new. One of my first assignments was drive out here. They're digging a lake. They're going to make a city. It's going to be called Rancho Santa Margarita. So I have a picture of a cow and like a crane or something. And Yeah, that that was way off the grid. That was way off the grid. Orange County. Like, yeah, that wasn't on even on Thomas Guide. They built, they were just building like crazy out there. Yeah. So uh, I think there was three papers at the time plus the Saddleback News. And when I left, there was like nine papers. It, they just kept right. creating papers. So, um, and was that a daily? It a was a semi-weekly, okay. which meant that we published on Wednesdays and Fridays, and all the other papers were weeklies. Okay. And I had a staff of two. Wow. I remember my first day was horrible. They there was it was an office building, and there was a little um, like a hallway between the back shop and the newsroom, and okay. they put doors on it, and that was. The dark room. Jesus. So I go in the dark room and I'm like, okay, so I shot my first assignment. It was some thing for a golf tournament. And uh, I'm so excited. It's my first day. and I'm going to put the, you know, the film on the rolls. And I mixed the chemicals wrong. I mixed them one to one instead of one to 15 or something like that. So it was bulletproof. You couldn't even (laughs) see if you held it up to the sun. And so my first assignment, I'm like, telling one of the editors, I'm sorry, I screwed it up. And they're like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, and they're paying me all of like 225 a week. Right. You know, big, money. big, big money. So I was there for about three years. Now, did they give you gear or is it what you had is what you had? No, it's what I had. And what so you have? my longest lens was a 90 millimeter macro Tamron. <laughs> But I did have Nikon gear. I had a wide angle and like a 50, and that was it. I had a 90. I had to cover the Richard Ramirez uh, trial, one of the trials, because he killed somebody in Mission Viejo, with a 90 millimeter macro. (laughs) But you made it work. I made it work. Did it make you you a better photographer having unlimited (sighs) tools and just saying, okay, if my wide is this, I move my feet? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you did you may do with what you had, right? Essentially, I mean, back then, I didn't really. All of the theory from school was thrown out the window because this was essentially, even though it was a newspaper, it was more of a PR, uh, like 
association with so we always took dog of the week pictures we took right the business people um the welcome to mission viejo committee uh two new uh, assignments every tuesday and thursday for new businesses and so it was always like i was doing nine to ten eleven assignments a day but i was doing everything so it was fun i learned I didn't know what I was doing, but I was learning as I was going, and we would do fashion shoots, we would do, you know, illustrations, everything, and I'd get to lay it out because there was nobody else there, and so right that that part of it was fun. It was quite an education. I mean, yeah, because I'm sure at Fullerton you weren't learn. No one taught you how to do fashion. Nobody had taught you how to do maybe really detailed portraits. I mean, they probably didn't even have lights right at school. They even teach you how to use strobes. <laughs> There was a studio. I don't even remember if I used it. It was, you know, it was kind of a mishmash because I went in later. I didn't switch over until I right, was a you junior. Were, you were later because you're doing music. And so, so I, it was just kind of like, here we go. Here's what you do. Okay, you're a photographer. Here's your degree. Boom. And, See, and I'm out there. And, and so I remember driving my wife nuts because I'm like, well, you know. It's the moment in journalism. It's a moment. Moment's everything. I was there was this moment, and I'd come home and just talk to her, and she goes, "Just don't talk to me about moments. <laughs> could you just? <laughs> could you just? Can we not talk about it? Anything but exactly." Please. So my poor, long-suffering wife. But I kind of figured it out all by myself, and I had mentioned before that when I was at the Register, around these great photographers, where I eventually got hired. Right. The um, they would talk about influences. And I'd be like, who's that? Who, who's that? Who's his name? And, and, yeah. And, and I'm like, where did you guys go to school? And they're telling me these different places. And I'm like, I, I, we never studied that. And so it was kind of always in the back of my head that that really bothered me that I didn't know where I came from, the history of photography. And so when I went back to get my Master of Fine Arts, my MFA, I was forced to learn which was great because Good. I learned, you know, not only where photography came from, but who influenced my work. And so for me, I have three people, three, four people that I really kind of like give homage to. Okay. Um, August Sander. Okay. Um, who did like a whole taxonomy on portraits of regular people. Problem is, he was in Austria and Germany, and the Germans did really like that because he happened <laughs> I, yeah. to be Jewish, and he was um, not showing the you know the ideal Aryan. But he, I have one of his posters. I collect exhibition posters from photography of oh, the good. baker, and it's just this big bald guy with his you know his white shirt on, and it's just incredible portraiture. And so he did the faces of people, and um, he did. Twins. He had these weird, this weird, quirky thing about twins. Well, he happened to um, really influence Dion Arbus, who has this very famous pictures of these New Jersey twins who, if you've ever seen the movie The Shining, that's where Kubrick got the, uh, the, influence, the influence for those, those twins. The influence of those two girls, yes. right. So, and one's sort of smiling and one's not smiling in all these pictures. And it's really interesting to look at this. But wow. to see that... And understand that and, and to use that maybe in your photography or something, it's like, you know, basing some photograph on some incredible picture by maybe Titian or somebody like that. That's what we need to do to, you know, influence and have, 
you know, uh, some depth in our, in our work. Sure. So, did, I mean, if you look back at it, even though you came late into photography and you could, you know, you took what you could, what was available to still have an understanding of like, okay, I missed this. I'm still going to learn is, is big for you. Cause there's a lot of people who go, eh, I don't care. I don't care about the past. Those guys are gone. Whatever they did in the thirties, forties and fifties is meaningless. This is 1985. I'm in mission Viejo. I'm doing this. I mean, to understand, like, let me learn. Well, I, I read somewhere that like, the majority of people stop learning after the age of 25. Right. And that yes. has always terrified me. And so I went back for my MFA at 52. Good for you. That's That was crazy. And I was like, uh, this, so my mantra is, look, how old am I going to be in three years if I don't do this? Right. I'm going to be three years older, whether I do it or not. So I, I did it. And I just really have enjoyed the complexity. I was... Back in around 2000, I think I started um, teaching at UCLA because they don't have a journalism program, no, which is in the right. UC system, which is really strange. And we knew somebody and she asked me to teach a course in photojournalism so they could be on the newspaper. So I found that I fell in love with it. I just really liked it. Um, when I left the register... I had done some uh, pro bono work for the Harvest Crusade ministry, okay. and somebody saw me there, and they asked me to go give a talk at Cal Baptist University. So I went there, and they said, oh, this other guy who's teaching is going to talk about it, and we have an hour. The dude talked for 55 minutes and talked about setting up photos, and, and I'm, I'm like, what? You know, it was anathema. It was horrible. Right, yeah. And so they gave me the five last five minutes left. And fortunately, the, uh, the program leader was still there. And I just said a few things. I didn't knock the guy. I was just like, look, this is what I know. Um, this is how you would run a program and this and that. And they came up to me afterwards and said, would you like to teach for us as an adjunct. And so they brought me in as an adjunct. Um, I just had my undergraduate degree. So, you know, there was no real chance of getting hired there. But I taught there for five years and uh, a space opened up at Biola wow. to, as an adjunct. Right. And so I went over there. I loved it at Biola. I always wanted to go there. I knew some kids that had gone to school there. And um, I, I really liked the chair. He's, he's a great guy. We've become really good friends. And we're building a program. He built it from the ground up there, the journalism program. And we've got students that uh, are in D.C. that are working in social media. They're, they're all over the place. And they're journalists. And they're telling storytelling. And they're talking about truth. And they're doing it right. You know, we're, we're, we're passing the baton, essentially. Right. So that baton before it even gets hurled off you're this young guy 1980s right the <laughs> the heyday of you know newspapers exploding in southern california what's your staff like and who's it made up of back in, at the saddleback? saddleback yeah well uh it was funny there was a guy there already who was a swimmer from Brazil, and he <laughs> swam on the Natadors, which was really right. well known. Yes, that was that but was. But he he just liked photography, and so he was always like doing freelance jobs for him. So I brought him on staff, 
And then there was a couple different variations of guys that went through the program. Sure. Really, really horrible <laughs> photographers. Some were good, some were bad. Some were still in it, some aren't. And uh, th- the three of us covered everything. And then I had some so freelancers that would do for us. Basically, all of South County, um, from Mission Viejo down to San Clemente. Wow. Yeah, it was it was That's huge an exploding area, exploding area, Laguna Beach, everything, and. Um, yeah, and it was I forget cities were being built. Were being city. built. Aliso Viejo became a city. Um, Laguna yeah. Woods, Laguna all Miguel, of those. all that stuff was new. It was a crazy time, and it was we'd always be teasing. You know, this is the first whatever that right. would happen, and because it was all so new, there was a lot of money down there. I couldn't afford to live there at the time. I was commuting from I still North can't. County. Yeah. yeah, yeah, come on. And so that was a. I, that was the one thing that always kind of ate at me when I was there. It took about 45 minutes to drive there, and it took about an hour and 15 to get home. And so I was never covering where I lived. I, I really am a proponent of hyper-local news. And so I didn't create the uh, the relationships with people to sure. get tips. I mean, I knew people down there, but it, it was it was harder because of that. So I, I lived up in... Anaheim for most of uh, right. the time I was way there. Way up north. Way up north. And so when I got over to the register, I was like, oh, I live where I work. This is great. In some ways. In until, most they, ways. until they send you to South County all the time. <laughs> exactly. So, but, now, if you could have bought a place in Mission Viejo or somewhere back in 1985, oh, oh yeah. those homes would be a fortune today. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I've always lived in North County. I'm kind of a North County guy. I grew okay. up here. We, you know, haven't moved. I love it. I live now in Placentia and it's just did you grow up in Anaheim I grew up in Anaheim went to Magnolia High School okay. and and you know went to Cal State Fullerton so I was you, you know really haven't left a block I, I mean you're really on the area there I own I own the area <laughs> yeah and no and but now like to go to work I don't have to get on the freeway and that's like the greatest thing for me I just take surface streets right. it's 11 miles from my house and I love that fact that I can I can do that right you know, and it's a quick drive. Yeah, and teach. So for me to go to the desert now and do my astrophotography is like the greatest thing because it's something that I'm really passionate about. I love photography, but it's something that I've kind of like fallen into that I didn't realize how much I would like it. It all started off with trying to get the full moon. I was chasing the full moon and and a picture of a of a large jet carrier going through the moon, right. which I got a couple Aprils ago. It was kind of like a bucket list picture. And then I was like, hey, I really, what about the Milky Way? What about these comets that come around every once in a while? And so- And we're fortunate we live in an area where there is a desert yes. that allows us to go out where there's no light, no ambient light, exploiting, screwing up the photo, and you can make those. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look on YouTube, there's some guys that live out in Washington where it is pitch black. Right. I love there's a story of this. There's this one guy. He's big guy. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big bear of a guy. mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beard, yeah. And he talks about, hey, bring a friend because it's scary at night. <laughs> Blair Witch. <laughs> and he hears like a sound. He's like, that sounds like somebody dragging a pipe. We got to get out of here. <laughs> or it's a like, body. Dude, you're huge. Yeah. You're like 300 pounds. No one's going to hurt you. But the dark. Yeah, it, but it's. It's, it's dark. It's a different, different world. You turn that headlamp off, <laughs> there's nothing but you and noise. That's right. And maybe the wind. Yeah. And the stars. And the stars. Yeah, there's something special about that. So 
Does the register come knocking on your door at that time? How do you, how do you find your way to the register? Well, the community register was in the same building as the Anaheim Bulletin up in Anaheim. Oh, right. Yeah. And I took my portfolio to Mike Pilgrim, good old Mike Pilgrim, <laughs> yes. who was the chief photographer slash whatever at yeah. the Anaheim Bulletin for Director years. Of photography, editor, designer, whatever. And I took him my portfolio and he says, I'm not going to hire you. I'm like, what? He, he crushed me because I'm like, I want to move up. He goes, you're too good. I'm not going to hire you here. He goes, you should apply at the register upstairs. And I was just crushed. And so I went. Now, did you never think about the daily? You thought the community was like I your thought, next step? Well, we were, there was myths running around. They don't hire any local photographers. Okay. You know, it was a national. What Nash, is this? This is like. 88, okay. 87, 88, yeah. 88. And, the, you and know. the staff's legit at it, that time. Oh, it's legit. And it's like, it's winning national awards. Michelle Cardin is the 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 uh, DOP of it. And and it's untouchable. It's winning awards left and right. Right. At, They're um, two years removed from the, or the Pewitzer. And, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I walk upstairs and drop it off. I don't even see anybody. <laughs> I just drop it off because I had, I had the portfolio. Attention to staff. Anything. Six months later, I don't hear anything. Six months later, I'm, I'm at home in Anaheim at my kitchen table, and I'm looking through some pictures, and the phone rings. And it's a woman. Hi, is a... Uh, Mike there. And I'm like, I don't have time to talk to some, you know, somebody yeah. trying to sell me something. I'm not interested. I, I almost <laughs> said I'm not interested and hung up. But for one second, there was a beat there and she goes, oh, this is Michelle Carden from the Orange County Register. I was looking at your portfolio and I was wondering if you could come in and talk to me about it. And I'm like, how many portfolios have they looked at in six months did they finally got to mind at the bottom of the now, barrel? London's not there at the time. Jody hasn't been applied yet. No, so it was Michelle it, and it was, who else was, was running a ship? It was Peter Weinberger. Oh, right. Right? So it's okay. it's 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 good times. Yes. So they're, they're spending using, money, they're going and they're places. using pictures incredibly and everything. Color. And so they had just won, you know, the Pulitzer for for the for the um, Olympics, Olympics right? in eighty four. in eighty five they won it. And so I go in and um, totally screw up the you know the interview and everything. I'm all nervous and and uh, I. What is I, your book like at that time? Oh, it was horrible, so embarrassing. <laughs> and I had a couple color slides, and I said, "Could you look at these?" And so <laughs> I'm pulling them out. Right? I, I, I've told this story to Michelle, so I'm going to say it again. She looks at it and goes, "You don't shoot color much, do you?" And I just went, oh, I, "I'm oh. done. That's it. It's all over." And we were at the register at the main building. And then she goes, well, I want you to come back and I want you to um, edit some people because I'm looking for a part-time editor slash staff photographer. So you're going to be both. I'm like, okay. And since, you know, you were that at the at the Saddleback News or you are that, um, I'd like you to edit some stuff. So I edited, I think, Nadia Borowski's piece and Ed Carrion's piece. Whoa. And uh, Oh, and Ken Steinhardt's. <laughs> so those three, she threw me in the fire, and I edited their work. And um, now, she's kind of right, and kind of you know, it, it's ballsy to say, but shooting color is a different world. If you've come from just black and white, all of a sudden the way you have to look and see color, it's different. I basically had to learn on the fly because, and they were lighting it. Yes, they were lighting moments. They weren't. So a great thing is when we when Mike Goulding got hired. Everybody knew him. 
uh-huh. right? He had worked at the national, the national. Right. Yeah, he was at the LA Daily So News. we went to the, we went to the Laker game together. I don't know why, but we were there and some guy, we sit down in the break room and some guy goes, Hey, yeah, setting up photos now that you're at the Orange County Register. And Goulding looks over at me and says, I don't know, why don't you ask, why don't you ask Mike? He's he's a staffer there. And this guy was like, oh, you know, it, it was pretty bad. Oh. But I remember how the amazing thing was lighting a room, putting lights in the corner and then saying, okay, look, I've got, a, you know, I've got five, six, you know, I, so I can sh- walk around with a radio transmitter and shoot moments and light them in color on color transparency, right. which at the time was nobody was doing it. We were doing it. And there's zero latitude. You oh. cannot screw that no, up. You can't. And you got a third maybe of a stop maybe, if you're off. Maybe. And it was, it was wonderful being learning, you know, to walk that tightrope. And then, you know, so I even, my eBay call sign is push one stop <laughs> because we would get the Fuji color, Fuji Chrome 100, and we push it a stop to get that extra speed. Right. And so, and it, we got pretty good at it outside with natural light. We know, hey, full on, you're a thousand five six. If you're going to backlight, it's two eight. And, you know, if, if there's maybe some side light, it might be a four. And so we, we got pretty good at it. I remember, um, like the St. Paul paper that Weinberger went to was using color neg. And so it had much more latitude. Oh, yeah. You totally. know, and so, but I mean. then there was a quality issue and everybody's talking about transparencies and your drum scan and what's going on. But it was fun. It was fun. And, you know, we were broadsheet. And so we were printing. Michelle was making them print six column photos. Right. We, horizontal Big. photos. We were getting gorgeous, gorgeous play. And the print was beautiful back then. It was gorgeous. Blues and we were, blue, we were winning were clips. The only thing you couldn't print was red. <laughs> <laughs> Red's the unknown color, the un, the unmakeable color. But it was just, it was a great time. It was the heyday. And we had a great staff. And most of the staff ended up transitioning over to the Metro staff. Right. Because, again, there was that, we won't hire anybody. And I forget who the first person was. It, it might have been Carlson, and then it was Reitmeyer, and then Ortiz. All those guys moved over to the staff from the community paper because, man, it was it was a school of hard knocks. You learn to shoot color and shoot it well. And we would get an opening at the at the community paper and we get 300 portfolios. Right. You know, it was the place to be. And Michelle was, she was a great boss. She, she took, she cared about us and she took care of us and fought for us. And so it, it was a great learning example. We were only supposed to be there two years at the time. There that was, was like it. this two year thing, but. And then you were supposed to just expected to move on. To move on or get a job. Right. At the, you know. And, Wherever, you name it, you're moving on. But then Weinberger left to go to St. Paul, and we got Ron London, who was so different, um, just night and day. Just he And the was, way he handled the staff? Yeah. Or? Weinberger was like your buddy. and He's a and, people guy. And London was like such a – he was like on a different plane. He was so smart, and he was always – figuring things out. They brought a new computer system in and, you know, just computerized everything. And about that time, I guess Photoshop was coming in. Right. Early 90s. Things are really evolving in the industry. And so London, you know, he just, he he was very friendly to me. And, but he, 
he wasn't the kind of guy that was like your buddy. Right. He didn't you put know? your arm around you and go for a beer. Yeah, he was a good guy, but it was tough. And then, so was it Jody that came in after Ron? Yeah. Yeah, Jody came in. Oh, that was that was night and day. So um, I got a funny story about this. <laughs> so Jerry Garcia passed away. Uh-huh. And I had met Jody. I was at um, the NC2A finals for when UCLA won. Okay, right. And she was still... I believe at AP at the time, uh-huh. and I met her. She had been hired. This is your new boss. Blah blah blah. She's you'll met see her. her in two weeks. Yeah, right. So then Garcia dies, and they say, "Oh, we want you to go to Venice." And uh, there's they're drumming. They're doing drum circles in honor of Jerry Garcia. I'm like, okay. So I'm <laughs> in Venice Beach, someplace, and I'm photographing, and all of a sudden they're passing around like this opaque wine bottle. But you don't, there's no label on it, and people are just taking hits off of it. And this hand comes, and, and, and I look, and it's Jody. <laughs> My new boss is taking a swig out of some dark wine bottle. Jug of. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I'm like, out of context, what are you doing here? And she's like, hi, Mike. And it was so funny, but um, she, you know, she was. She's been so many places. Oh yeah, she's done so many things, and she was. She was always great to me. Uh, she was fantastic. I yeah. She hired me. She was great. Yeah. I, so I screwed up my first assignment with her. <laughs> Just kind of a way things go. I was supposed to shoot Janet Evans at um, up at Pasadena. No, no, at the. Uh, did they have a pool at the Rose Bowl or yes, something? Yeah, yeah. The so aquatic centers there. She was there, right. and she lost. Ooh. And I couldn't find her. She ran to the back and she was crying and AP had it and I didn't. And I went back and I saw it on the wire and I'm like, Jody, I'm so sorry. I screwed it up. I couldn't find her. She lost the race. And then she was gone and she looked at me and, and I thought, this is it. I'm dead. And she goes, well, I know you'll never do that again. And that's all she ever said it. And she had my back after that. And she was just, she always took care of me. And I really appreciate that. Wow. You know, sometimes you get lucky because I know there was other people that she dropped the hammer. She on. didn't like. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and then she, off she went to be at the White House and then Dallas Morning News. And I, I don't know. She was last I saw her. We had lunch. She was a director of photography for Bush's library. Wow. Yeah, George Bush's library. Yeah. Because she was because yeah. she was there during right. his, yeah. his uh, regime or right. and his administration. Like, you know, it's, it's one of these jobs you're like, what? You work at the White House Library? But yeah, their needs in the archives are, is huge. And oh, they, they need enough to someone. keep you busy for the rest of your life right. and, and beyond. And like every library, every presidential library, there's always something going on. It's an event, whether it's a wedding, an event, a political event, the speakers. You know, we, we have Nixon in our town. Yeah, that, yeah. that place is always hopping. It's always hopping, yeah. Yeah. So do you think editing early on helped you as a photographer? It really did because I didn't know what I was doing. At the beginning. And so editing kind of forced me to see what worked, what moments didn't work, what did, um, to learn how to, um, where I should be. You know, I'm not the greatest photographer, and I realize that. But I think my, my skills exist in my people skills and kind of teaching Right. What, you know, what's important and figuring things out. I I enjoyed editing, but um, I fought it tooth and nail to become an editor. They 
they they they took me uh, kicking and screaming <laughs> into editing because I wanted to be in the field. Right. You know. Yeah, th- that's where the action is. It's sexy out there. It is. It is. And and being, you know, fighting other editors every day was just not my cup of tea. Right. The writers, the sports guys, the space, the designers. Exactly. And it's a you war. know and and so and what's really helped me with teaching the next generation is you're working with these wordsmiths. That's what their whole life is about. And so photographers come in and say, it's a good picture. Why? <laughs> well, because uh, I, I took like it. it. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, no, you got to use the terminology about, you know, when you're talking about your images so that you're on their level or beyond. Right. When you say, look, the diagonality of this is, you know, causing the viewer to be drawn to this area because of the compositional elements. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yo, I see that, right? Well, that's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> and so the thing that I hated was at the register, It when I was there, was that whole evolution of the um, newsroom without walls. Uh, so supposedly yes. anybody could come into the meeting and say, I don't like that picture. They didn't have to back it up. They didn't have to have another solution. Right. My opinion. Exactly. And so a lot of times as an editor, we'd have, this is this is our ball lineup. This is our best picture. And it would get blown out of the water at 4.30 and we'd have to figure something out. Right. You know, by, by deadline at 7 o'clock. And uh, so many times we were, you know, scrambling for that. And, you know, I was there during during the the. the War during you know nine eleven during all that stuff and there was a lot of um, times when we would fight for things like when I remember when they killed uh, Saddam Hussein's sons. Okay. Yeah. And I had to go creep into a meeting with the managing editor and the editor. They were down at some town meeting and say, look, they got the guys. We have a picture of their dead bodies. We need to run it. And I negotiated it to page three. I started on page one because it was the big thing. Those were the guys we were trying to get. And so we got it on page three and they said, you can put it in color on the web because the web was in its infancy then. So I felt good about that. There was always negotiations going on because, you know, they're trying to make the public happy, the the bagel test right. in the morning. So What do you think their fear was putting it on page one? That people would say, oh, that's grotesque. Uh, I'm eating my breakfast. That's the bagel right. test. Yeah. And, they're always uh, worried about the shut-ins calling yes, and getting upset. And saying, oh, well, I'm beach. canceling my paper, you know. Right. But to me, it's like, hey, we are there to protect democracy, essentially. Right. If, if there's no news, then corporations and the government will do whatever they want. Right. There, there's no you know, responsibility. There's, no there's nobody exactly. calling. There has to be that. And that's what we're trying. You know, uh, teaching in the journalism department, uh, one of the things that was before COVID was like, oh, well, no one wants to be a journalist. But now... One of the things that we went into strategically and being proactive is watch how much people want the news. And now right. it's about this hyper-local news. It's like I care about, is, does my neighbor have COVID? <laughs> you know, what's going on right. in my city and my county? And, and I need to know. What is government doing? What what's is the, open? What's the yeah. protest? What's happening? Why school? is Newsom doing this? Why right. can't my kids go to school? I'm tired of them being right. home. And, and all of that. And it's like journalists are telling stories about that. They're telling the truth. And we, we 
it's essential. They are essential workers, and we need that to be in place. And so our students are finding that out. We've had students get <laughs> – so one of my students got hired by the Southern California News Group, and he's up in – El Monte or some some small city. And uh, before the protest started, he's calling me and he got his job like he graduated in December. So he got his job like the day before he graduated. And uh, he's like, you know, the protest, do you think you could go with me? (laughs) And I'm like, you know, this is your time. I got slugged. I got shot at. It's your time. And that was just at home this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and and he ended up getting shot with a rubber bullet and tear gassed and everything. Yeah. And I said, now you're the old guy. Now you can tell the young guys coming up what, why it's so important. And so it's great that we've got, you know, this next generation that's covering things. I mean, it was wild for, for a couple months there. Oh, yeah. Right after, you know, Memorial Day or um, was it Memorial Day? Yeah. yeah when George yeah. Floyd, that whole thing hit, it just went it ramped up oh, to DEFCON 5 immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Were there were there anything at all that happened during your time at the register that you covered that was like that? I mean, obviously not like... Well, the I mean, riot, there were riots. There, yep. there was... There was... OJ riots, flood riots. It all happened. Laguna Fire? The Laguna Fire. Did you cover that? <laughs> yeah. They brought me in on a Zodiac. We had to leave because they had shut the roads down, so we left through the harbor. And okay, they so drove Newport us... Harbor? Newport Harbor. We, we went on a, some big boat that they got, and then we jumped into a Zodiac. Okay, so who gets that? Who makes that call? We need a boat. I don't know. It was... <laughs> it, was it was just, Mike, be here. Yeah, be here. Get on the boat. We're going to... You know, we, some other people are trying to get in by road, but they're getting blocked. Right. I happen to be there. Because there's only— It was line of sight assignment, right? Because right? there's, there, there's the canyon, there's PCH, and then PCH and coming north it. or south. That's it. That's it. And they were all blocked off right. because of the fire. So if you weren't there, we had a couple guys there that just happened to get in. But then— uh, How do you get stuff out? Like, you, re- I mean, it was really a challenge. It, it was, but it was so cool. It was like a movie. You know, we— Got in on the Zodiac. I we floated right up to on Main Beach. All right, so look, jumped out onto Main Beach, and you could see you'd look up, and the hills are on fire. So I got there maybe five thirty, six o'clock at night. Oh man! And so we go running up there and trying to figure out and coordinate. And I, I we didn't have phones back then. No. I think we had like radios or something right, we, that yeah, sort of worked. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And pagers. And so I remember. Um, my best stuff was not actually during the fire. It was at night. I had I have this picture of firefighters sleeping on um, probably Forest Avenue or maybe PCH. They just fell asleep wherever they could. Right. And then um, the next morning, I got a six, no, a 12 column. So it was a double truck horizontal of this woman sitting in her burned out house with like the gas main still with a little Shooting. fire. Yeah. yeah. It was it was crazy. And, you know, it was one of those things where we spent all night. It was so hot. Our necks were getting burned because we were so close to the flames. And it, it was just surreal. And so, then, so let's talk about that. Yeah. What do you do to prepare yourself going into something like that? What gear did you bring? How did you dress? At the time, we were just kind of finding out about fires because, you know, we, we hadn't had a big we hadn't one. hadn't had a big one. So after that, we learned, hey, you should have goggles because guess what? The embers could fly in your eyes. You should have like a bandana or, you know, now we would have a, right. a better mask. And you should 
so afterwards they bought us fire gear. Right. But right. at there that the, time we were, didn't get we didn't have fire so gear. So you didn't have a, uh, so you didn't a fire have the jacket hood that said or the media. jacket, nothing like that. And but so what's what's little Michael wearing at the time? I think whatever you had on, whatever I had on, I think I had like a light coat. I don't, yeah, I don't even remember. And I had my gear, whatever I could carry. Tennis shoes, tennis shoes, donkey bag full of just yeah, gear, just stuff, and you just making it happen. F fours, maybe back then. Yeah, I guess it was F fours. Maybe an F three. Who knows? Flash. Had a flash, and then you're like, okay, so you know, should I just kiss the flash? You know, it was a it was a Nikon, probably an SB24, right? Maybe a stop and two thirds under. We'll just kiss it because we're still shooting chrome, and chrome so at night at chrome a at fire. Night at a fire, and so so how are you figuring out even what your exposure I don't should know. be? <laughs> right, because that's the crazy thing. Now it's so yeah, you gotta wanna, look I at it. I don't want to say easy, but yeah. it is. I take a shot, I look and go, God, I'm four no, stops. You're gonna off. be saying, get do, off do, my do, lawn do, pretty do, soon, right? But you're okay. You bump up the ISO, but you're stuck with an ISO. Yeah, we just kind of would do our best guess, you know, and and like Leonard was out there who is uh-huh. the, you know, quintessential like expert at exposures, you know, and lighting and right. everything. And so all of his stuff's perfect. And I'm like, right. he's at, got a spot meter in his yeah. eye. And I'm like looking like, <laughs> okay, I guess it should be about this and, you know, and most of my stuff came out, but it, it was just nuts, you know, some of the you know, you'd see houses burning across the way or firefighters on a house doing things. Right. And, and uh, the really good stuff oh, got missed because we didn't have anybody there. We had a freelancer there, and I still feel bad. But he he just freaked out because there was people with horses and putting stuff barefoot into their car. and. He just panicked. He just panicked. But it's to be natural. It's the first. It's not surprising. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're in this. It's like you don't know how you're going to react. I always worried about that. It's like when the bullets fly, do you run towards the bullets? Do you do you freeze up? Do you duck? What do you do? Run away. And so. And it was if people don't really realize they should Google it. Laguna Fires. I think it was 92, 93. It was a hill of homes on fire it was yes. devastating yes it just it just was like this unrelenting march to the sea right because it came from the 405 it started there somebody started it and it went all the way down laguna canyon road and then up and uh, over up the, and over by what like what was uh it burned everything yeah yeah and it was just the, the crazy. laguna festival i think didn't it didn't it get yeah they it, tried to save some of it it, it went down it was houses, ugly yeah, it was city hall they lost it was and i can't remember if it, that was before the earthquake the northridge earthquake because then that either happened that was crazy that was 90 294? Yeah, 90, something like that. Did but you all, have to cover that? Yeah, I covered that. Because Joder so, has that unbelievable photo. So I, but I got the cover Newsweek. Okay. From that because, so Jay Bryant was our, was one of the photo editors at the time. Okay. And so I lived in Anaheim, big earthquake at five in the morning, jump in my car and take off. There's now, no lights. do they lights. call you or you just go? I just went. There's no lights. Now, how do you even know where to go? Because I listened on the radio, okay. so it's Northridge is the right. epicenter. For kids who don't know, there's a thing in your car that's a radio, <laughs> actually. If you go to AM, you know. AM 570 or yeah. something. That, yeah, no, that's ten, news. 1070. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I went there and just started driving because I knew, well, that's where I'm going to go. And I somehow called Michelle and she told me. And so we're all heading there. And they said, okay, we want you to go to 
It was the hills above Ventura Boulevard is where I was sent first. It was so a now you house grab the that Thomas Guide and start looking, yeah. right? Because so some people are trapped in there, and I never really even got a picture. So it was just a house that fell down. So I went down to Ventura Boulevard, and I got some pictures of cracked houses and different things like that. And I'm like, hey, look, they're all talking about this Northridge apartments that have collapsed. I want to go there. No, we already have somebody there. We want you to go to this hospital. So I shot some hospital where they evacuated everybody out. My right. first day sucked. All I did was run around at their behest to all these secondary places and really didn't get any great photos so the next day i'm like is that kind of because they were just kind of like spotting you in places there were no there was a was lot it? of us out there okay and so some of the, i forget who was and the staff's big at the time th- so there's 17 s- of us so you could send everybody out if you wanted and so there was other people already at that apartments fortunately nothing okay. happened that day so i didn't miss anything right the next day i was like hey look there's a trailer park that Basically, all the propane tanks exploded and burned this whole 200-person, 200-unit yeah, thing to the, park, ground. to the ground. I'm going there. And so the Did desk, you go home that night? I went home because okay. there was nowhere to stay. So, And there was nothing really to shoot at that point. Right. I mean, you could have shot people you know, living in tents or something. Right. And so the desk calls me up and says, we want you to go to the Northridge Apartments. And I'm like, it's all over. Why, why do you want me to go there? <laughs> that and was I'm yesterday. Like, yeah. So I go, okay. I didn't say when I'd go. <laughs> Smart journalist. So I went to, to the um, mobile home, and there's an older man, and he's looking through the rubble, and I start talking to him. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this woman weeping. And I'm like, uh, sir, I'm sorry. I need to go. <laughs> so <laughs> right back. I'm trying to edge my way, and I shot her with a 70 to 200. It's vertical. And she's holding some little doodads from her grandmother's mobile home that burned to the ground. And so I take her picture, I get her name, and then I go to the Northridge Apartments where nothing's happening. And I come back and I run the stuff. It's day two. It's the end of day two. So, um, Yeah, and that's a good drive back from Northridge yes, to yes, Santa Ana. Hour and a half, maybe with the traffic and everything's going on. Yeah, and all hell's broken loose so in I, the valley. So I that's- soup the film and they're, they're like... I'm like, hey, uh, I have something that's pretty good I want you to take a look at. I won't tell you who the editor was. He's like, well, yeah, it's okay. I go, hey, look, uh, do, can I can I put it on the wire? So like, yeah, go ahead. Do, do whatever you want. We're going to probably run it on page six. So I'm like, okay. So I put it on the wire. We had that deal with Saba to take all of our stuff. And they saw that on the wire and they called up the desk and they were yelling at the desk. Why, why don't we have this picture? Well, Newsweek saw it and they're like, uh, we want that picture. It's in the running for our cover. So we FedExed it to them and it goes through all this. I don't even know, you know. It was slide film too, right? It was slide, yeah. Yeah, and, so you got to FedEx the slide. You actually FedEx the slide and they picked it and it was the cover. So and it, it, I think the, the headline is shattered. And so um, and and Yoder had that amazing picture, but I think his was horizontal. It was. It and was. so I was <laughs> like, you know, and so I was really ticked off. See, I don't remember that photo because I don't remember it ever being on a cover. It was, was never it was never in the really, it was it was like uh, a two me. by three picture on page six in color. I was so mad because. 
they didn't really care about it. it right. But it kind of encapsulated everything. I mean, if it was the police officer's death, yeah, that was even more so. But Dave didn't turn his camera vertical. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then Saba's like, well, we want half the revenue. And because I, I think they were supposed to pay $3,000 for a cover. And I'm like, right. you didn't. You didn't give it to them. You didn't, and they're like contractually, yeah. So I only got half the money. I was a little bitter about that, but I was like, you know, it was cool because right after that was the riots, and Paul Rodriguez got the cover of right. the riots for Time magazine. Right. So it was like boom, boom. We we had these big covers, and the riots hit, and in the riots, I got jumped by a guy, and. Um, we fought for a little bit, and I now, got. Well, let's talk about that because that because <laughs> I covered those riots, and it was it was bonkers. It was different than were, these riots. Were you at the Laker game? So there was the Laker Portland Trailblazer yeah. playoff game, and I was yeah. there. What was the guy's name from the Times? Michael, who ran the place. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So anyway, he was coming behind us and saying, "Okay, we've had some cars broken into in the lot." And before that, we had seen the what was this? The guy that got pulled out of the truck, and they. Oh, uh, Reginald Denny. Reginald Denny. Yeah. And we, we watched that. We, we watched that while we were we, eating. While we were eating. We're and so there. we all turned off our pages, right? No, I don't want to go there. Right. Because so that was not that far It was from... just starting. Right. Yeah. And so and we shot ugly. the game. And, and people didn't know. I'm, my thing was like I saw celebrities jumping up and down and screaming at the game. And I'm like, you don't even know what's going on outside. No. So It's funny. Pre-internet, pre-social yes. media. Nobody, nobody knew what was going nobody on. Nobody had a BlackBerry. No Those, cell phones. Nobody had yeah. pagers. And yeah. the Jumbotron didn't exist. It was just numbers. It, didn't, it wasn't a high-tech video where you can bring yeah. in pump in stuff. So we shot the game. I think the Lakers won. And I did, yeah. went to my sister's home who lived in Manhattan Beach at the time and said, I'll just stay there, which was stupid. Now, I should have well, gone out that night. Now, how did you get the film back? Did they have a runner? I can't, Kenny was running I can't sometimes. remember. Kenny would come and with his motorcycle maybe, all the Maybe that's and, what it was because I – but you stayed with your sister. I stayed with my sister, got up the next morning, and they had set up a command center outside the hotel at USC. Okay. And so they went there, and they made the, the really great <laughs> decision to send a reporter with a photographer. Bad news. Oh, boy. So two different agendas. So we go to Crenshaw and 53rd. Jesus. And so it's a little 99-cent store. And the it, what's crazy is... The, the sidewalks were packed. It was bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. I don't know where all these people were doing. But there right. was all this craziness, and they were looting the 90 – they were looting everything. Right. And so I go, I'm going in. And so I went in, and I took a picture of a girl with a bag of stuff, and everything's on – you know, they grab one thing and knock three over, and there was soap, dish soap all over the floor, so it was slippery. And I'm like, this is stupid. And I'm, I get out. And I see a guy carrying a love seat on his shoulders. I'm like, this is a great picture. So I pick up my camera, and a guy stands up in between us. He had been tying his shoes. And I'm like, I put my camera down. I wrecked the shot. So I walk across the street. I'm not paying attention. I'm looking at my camera. And I'm walking over to my car, and I hear this, hey. I turn around, and there's a fist about three inches from my face. And he hits me. And so... The one semester of karate I've had, <laughs> I, I drop all my gear and I grab his wrist and I, you know, step over and break 
break his hold on me. Right. But he had ripped my shirt pocket where I had about six rolls of film. Oh, so, boy. So they, now it's on. So I, I think I'm in shock because this is what I remember. He starts screaming, no pictures, no photos. And he grabs my camera and throws it. I see my camera going end over my F4, going ever and over end, about 25 feet over this tree. And then I see it. I assume it hit the ground because I didn't see it hit the ground. And I'm on my hands and knees because he ran away picking up my film and bumper to bumper traffic. And I just hear people screaming and I'm like, oh, it's Reginald Denny all over again. You know, don't, don't go down. Right. Don't be on the ground. And so I grab all my stuff. I grab my camera, the donkey bag or whatever it was. The yeah. reporter comes back over with the camera that had been thrown. He goes, look what I found. <laughs> and you know, so he grabbed it. I go, let's get out of here. So I jump in my car and I'm shaking. Sure. And cause the guy cold cocked me, you know? Right. And, and so we go taken off. And so they sent me to where these cops were and they were throwing bottles and I was freaked out and they, they're like you're no good to us go home <laughs> so <laughs> so I just went home but it was it was nuts I remember I had little you know my kids were pretty small at the right. time they maybe were little guys three four and my wife's freaking out so she was glad I came home and it was just because people were like you know where are the riots going to come here are they going to go there I had buddies that were cops and they're like we're not doing anything we're just sort of watching and so it it was you know, we hadn't covered riots before. Right. We didn't have you know, riots in Orange County. My buddy County. Craig Fuji, right, gets right. knocked out at Florence and Normandy, and they have pictures of him getting his gear stolen. Right. Stripping him down. <laughs> yep. And so, and he left He left journalism after that. He's right. He's a he's a nurse. Right. He's, he's he walked a, away from it. He's, he's a great done. guy, you know. So, but, yeah, so there was this period where there was riots, earthquakes, floods, fires. It all happened. And, and. We learned from it. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor, and we'll be right back. One moment, you're covering a Laker game. The film you have on you is the film you've got. There's no reformat your card, clear out the laptop, yeah. here we go. Now you got to go to a riot with, okay, what do I have? I've got color slide film. We had lots of, lots of film in our trunk. Right, rolling around <laughs> and by the spare tire. No, it, was, it was in a, a little uh, bricks, but it was always in a little cooler. Right. So that it wouldn't get too hot. Right. But we <laughs> always had to carry a lot of film on us. Nick Kuhn, who was our um, office manager, right. said that, that the um, budget for film was like $250,000 during the heyday. 250000 a year. Wow. I and, never knew it was that And then it number. dropped down to like, you know, $2,000 because they never had any. It was all cards. Right. That is amazing. I never realized it was a quarter million at yeah. one point. Yeah. Jesus. So what did you learn from covering events like that? I mean, because you've got to pass that knowledge don't, on. It's, don't it's, trust the reporter to have your back. Well, yeah. What no. we learned from that was to send two photographers out. By, you know, Unless he was a former UFC fighter. Your yeah. reporter's worthless. Yeah. I'm <laughs> they sorry. They really are. They've got a pad and a pen, and their, their agenda's different. And they want to talk to people while you wander off to go take pictures. Right. And so that was one thing that we learned. And, and the other thing is I think you really have to – well, a person that I really admire is Mindy Shower. You know, I think she weighs 89 pounds. She's probably less than five feet tall. And I've seen her cover various events, especially like the one that I'm thinking about was a, a Trump event gone bad. I think they all go bad. Right. But, um, and people are swinging 
and spraying pepper spray and she's just bobbing and weaving like an MMA fighter and right. she's shooting these great pictures and no one notices her. She no. just goes in and does her job. And I think if you act with authority, but without the least you're noticed, the better. Right. And it seems to work that yeah, way. If you put her and Chris Carlson together, you know who's getting punched first, right? Here's, <laughs> well, he deserves it. Right. Right? <laughs> He's 6'3", tall. He just stands out. Yeah. He's going to stand out. Mindy looks like a mom, right? Yeah. She's a little tiny lady. She could just slide in and out. And yet she has these incredible images right. that nobody else gets. Right. She's like a, a French terrier, <laughs> right? She just come in there. She gets on something. I don't and know she's if a, I would call her a dog, but well, yes. No, but, oh, well, oh, I don't know what other kind of animal. She's, she's, she's just slippery. Sweet. Yes. She's sweet, but boy, you get her on oh. something. She's not letting go. Nope. She She's amazing. She will not back down in any way. Yep. Yeah, so I wouldn't call her like a little flower in anything. <laughs> I mean, she's adorable. But and she gets it done. Right. She always gets it done. You know, there's there's certain, I, I, we were talking earlier about this, there's certain photographers, when I was working the desk, and we'd say, okay, we need something for A1 secondary. And there was certain guys that I would send, because I would know, oh, they're going to get it. Yeah, they're bringing they're, it home. They're just going to get it. And, and so, like, one of the guys I talked to was Dan Anderson. So I'd say, Dan, when you walk in a room... What are, you, what are you looking for? What's your idea? He goes, I think of what the best shot could be and where I need to be to get that. And one day I was talking to Wally Scalia, and he said almost the same thing word for word. Because like, they're like preternatural. How do they get these pictures? Wally's so good. But he just, he goes, I, I think of like, where do I need to be if this would happen? And he's ready. Right. And so I've watched him. I was at the, I was with him at the, um, when UCLA was supposed to lose and Ty Edney did the 4.1 second from right. end of the, and I was, and I thought, I'm going to go where Wally goes because he's going to get it. And sure enough, I, I just kind of followed Wally. It was like, and because people just disappeared. You couldn't see anybody. It was right. like a, a wave bodies. of humanity. And all of a sudden they had Edney on their shoulders. But before that, the guy had the picture of Edney with, um, I forget the center's name, the big white guy right. that was the center. And um, he's like an X with his arms and legs out celebrating. And the guy snuck in because you weren't supposed to be there after your team loses, but he snuck in with a 300 and shot across, across the court. But, you know, the thing is that the, the really great photographers are so proactive. They think about where you're supposed to be, what could happen, and they're ready for it instead of being reactive. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of instance always. Right. And those people tend to miss it. And the people that are prepared, those are the ones that I think that they're just favored. It's, they're smart. They're thinking about it. And it tends to happen in front of them and they don't miss it. Right. Well, that advice you just said right now is what you gave me. You and I were covering the NCAA regional tournament at the Honda Center. It was the winner of that. It was Arizona that won, goes to the final four. Okay. And so I'm hanging up lights. I've got, you know, strobes everywhere. I've got remotes everywhere. And you kept telling me, no, it's about reaction. Nobody cares about the action in this. It's all about the That's next. That's so funny. I don't even remember saying yeah, that. Yeah, the next team moving on. And you were right. No one cared about an overhead shot. It was the celebration 
afterwards. It's funny because Carlson told me something. He was telling stories once and he's like, you know, I had all these great pictures and then it went over time. So I just threw all of that film away. And it's, right. it's true. All Nobody they, cares about the they first They want to see the people celebrating. That's that's what it is. That's they, it. You know, they want to see the shot. Right. Right. Or the celebration. And we get caught up so many times and, you know, oh, this is prettier. I could have this little you know, light or bubble. Right. But and those are important. But then, especially with sports. It's the moments at the end, especially it's, when it's, it's something coming down to the big finals. Where, was there a person on the staff at the register that you saw and you were like, damn, that guy's got it. I'm going to gravitate towards him or take advice from him? Because it was a really interesting, great staff at that time. You know, I think there wasn't one guy, but I would... For me, I would take the best of most of the of all the people. Like, you know, Paul Rodriguez would never say three sentences over a week's time. Right. But his eye, he was quiet and he was always looking. You know, Goulding just had this ability to make beautiful pictures. Bruce Chambers worked hard, 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 hard. Bruce Strong was always like the intellectual. I've got to do this, you know. Right, right. And then Nadia was like thinking about how this relates to Russian literature. Right, yes. And then she would take a great picture. And so I, I just tried to take the best of what everybody, you know, like I knew that Leonard, like if I had a problem exposing something with light or something, he would know and he'd have reams of data about it right. you know and and so it was a great staff what i think what killed us the most was when they took away our area because when i first started working there i could say well oh hey how did you do that or what did you do or mm-hmm. how did you light that and there was i guess there was some jealousy but it was very rare and few and far between. Mostly it was a bunch of good guys that liked each other and looked out for each other and helped each other. Right. And so that was like the heyday when there were 17 of us. It was a fun club to be in. I mean, everybody, you you could take a million from, from JR to Yoder to Mindy to right. There were so many people you could just go, if I spend 20 minutes with them, I'm going to learn something. Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember looking at Leonard. He was showing me some four by five stuff he lit out on the field for Camp Pendleton. I was like, they let you take the four by five out and you lit it with Normans. Wow. Or or when Al Coffer shot the the uh, the airplane crash. Right. With Normans. At LAX with Normans. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to light up the runway. Is that OK? <laughs> and he just do it. <laughs> he just did it. He just did it. So, uh, yeah. Anybody that's listening can. Send some prayers towards Al Coffer's way. I don't know if you know what's going on. No. He's been diagnosed with, uh, it's similar to ALS. I didn't know that. And so he's even lost the ability to um, photograph. He can't lift his arms above his waist. No so, way. Yeah, it's it's rare. It's, you know, but it's, it's kind of happening. And um, we're just I, hoping for the best for I him. I love that goofball yeah. to death. Yeah. I, he had a shot of, um, at first base, he mounted a camera, and he had someone diving back into first base. And he was at St. Paul, and it won an NPPA. Mm-hmm. And I found his number, called him up, and he absolutely walked me through it, how to do it. And I was able to replicate it at Cal State Fullerton. And most people don't call you back. They don't care. Yeah. 
He absolutely. And when he came back into he California, loves that. he right, loves it. When he came back into California, he was like one of the first person I said, "We're going out. We're going to beer. Let's talk." <laughs> yeah, he he is one of the purest journalists I've met. He just loves to tell stories. Oh yeah. And he's pitched, he's always pitching stories and always doing things. And then always in a white shirt and tie, ready to happen go. to a nicer guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm so sad about what's, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. It's just tough. He's a sweet man. Yeah. Funny as hell. So, what other crazy events? Because 25 years, you can, you and especially at OC, you know. A lot of stuff happens. It was a really interesting time going through the 90s and we're transferring into digital. How yeah. did you absorb any of that? Getting into digital, was that digital? Was that a. It was crazy. Did because you put your arms up or did you embrace it? I, I, well, I had to embrace it because they gave me that Kodak, Nikon, whatever thing, that <laughs> giant beast, thing. Yeah, the they gave it to me three hours before the first ever Ducks playoff game. And the manual is as thick as like a Bible. Right. And I went, I, I, three hours, I don't, you know. And remember when you look through it, it cropped half uh -huh. of it. And, yep. you had a, and so it I had this matty image that kind of showed you the whole thing, but you really were. I had to figure it out. I, for some reason, and it was a I deep was like crop. an adapter. Like a 300 was like a six. Yes. It was, it was hard and weird. And we were trying to do lights. I think so. Right after that, because you did a lot of ducks games. Somehow you I became was like, like the ducks guy the at hockey first. Ducks I don't guy know. The, but then, but then I went to go shoot the the Red Wings and found out what real hockey photographers <laughs> were. Oh man! Yeah, that little gap in between the boards where you had to wear I the got helmet. To, I got to sit in there. Yeah, that was crazy. Did you wear the helmet? I didn't wear the helmet. Oh I was just God. ducking down. But. And you have all your teeth, so you're lucky. Um, I, did, yeah. I did get hit, but those guys were in there spitting and yelling, and it, it was crazy. Jan, Joe Lewis, they used to have these huge, like, four-by-five black-and-white prints from, like, back in the day. Right. When the goalies didn't have masks. Right. You or know, teeth. Or teeth. <laughs> and, and there'd be a guy shooting on them and stuff, and they're just in the hallways. It was yeah. It, the arena was awesome. Yeah, it was an historical reference it, to it. It was just great. It was so well done. But um, being an early adopter of digital was fun, but it was crazy. I got to shoot Springsteen when he came to the forum. And on digital? On digital, okay? So they go, here you go. This is what you're going to get. You get like two minutes of the first song. That's it. So he comes out. He's all in black. There's one spotlight on him. Okay, and a black background. So I'm like, you can't even see this guy, and and this I, is very early. This is ugly. No, this is the very first right. one. This is and ugly. And they're going. It's going a one. So uh, the forum has set up so that you have a, a phone line to transmit it on, and I don't even know if it was that stupid box thing that we used to. You know what I'm talking right, about? Suitcase yeah. looking thing. So it was like 1.2. Uh, megabytes or something. It was right. it was so small, and it just looked. And they were so excited about it, and it looked like crap. And and, and people don't realize this is not like twelve frames a second. No, it's so different. There's not ISO of twenty thousand. And I had like a, a like a video recorder box on my shoulder while I was shooting it. It was right. it was just ridiculous you at like the time. Old, like a, a dad with an old VHS <laughs> video recorder, yes. right? Just, and there was nothing I could do to make it better. He's singing, and I just snapped some pictures, and 
they looked horrible, but they were all excited because it was digital. Right. You know, and the same thing with, you know, we had to shoot with lights with the at the playoff games. And so I was at, that was another momentous time because Marsha Prouse had just taken the job from Jody as the new DOP. Right. And right. so she was there at the games with us and we were at Joe Lewis and we went into triple yeah, overtime. Yeah, she was traveling and editing and... Yeah. Triple overtime and they were charging us like $600 a period for the lights. Yeah. Well, I said, this is stupid because it went in triple overtime. So I cut my lights off. And instead of getting a bill, they were going to give us a bill for like $3,600. Um, I said, no, I stopped using them. And they go, oh, okay. Well, oh, then we won't charge you. Marsha just about kissed me because like her first <laughs> job was going to be uh, like a $3,800 right. bill. But that was the one that... Um, Can you uh, believe charging you 600 bucks a period? For, for lights, for crummy, yeah, for horrible lights that didn't really work. So, yeah, that, that was the crazy day. And Mindy and I were on that shoot, oh. I think. I yeah, know. that's when we used to travel, too. Yeah, well, two would travel. Two would back, travel. Back in the heyday. Right. Well, they used to serve, serve shrimp. <laughs> yes. But that was in the, in the 80s, so that was before. But <laughs> Yeah, those were good days when you always had, you had two people on the road, or two people at home with an editor, two yes. people on the road, and you, and you made pictures, and you were guaranteed you were going to have great coverage in the paper. One thing that it taught me being on the road when I went, to be an editor was to take care of the photographers because you feel like you're in such a void. Um, I would say, hey, look, it's gonna, this is going to run. This isn't going to run. This is why it's not going to run. Even if they got mad, it was just like, you know, hey, I just want you to know. I don't want you to be left like, well, why Why didn't that picture run? And right. Find out the next morning. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was tough. It was tough. So I'll leave you with one great story. So they sent me to shoot The King's in Toronto and I was by myself and so they send me out out there and I'm at like a oh, I can't remember it's a chain of uh, hotels okay. and they said you know when you get the connection just leave it on because it would okay. fall and I, it was that big box and I forget what the it was DOS based and yeah. everything so I went to the game it was on I came back I transmitted and the next day when I'm leaving, they give me a bill for fifteen hundred dollars for the for the oh for the um, the phone bill in the for hotel. the phone bill, and I said, sir, that's ridiculous. It wasn't on that long. I wasn't on that long, and so he goes, oh, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll scratch that off there. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm going to come home and Michelle is going to kill me. And for, I will be a former yes, employee. $1,500 for a long distance phone call. For And I they had me leave early because of, of the deadline. And I missed the Marty McSorley fight. That was that big fight right. that he did. I missed the fight. So it was... It was not yeah, you, well anyway. You really fell into the hockey role because you shot Wayne Gretzky's uh, breaking the record when he was with the Kings, right? I didn't get to because they wouldn't. They didn't have a spot for me. Goulding, Goulding got to go with me, and they gave him a spot, and they wouldn't let me have a spot. I finally got well because it was a circus. I'm sure it was a circus, and I was in the handicap spot overhead. It would have been perfect, and the guy kicked me out like a minute before. So I'm running yeah, down. Yeah, because those weren't real spots. They back weren't then, spots. like the ducks. Yeah, the new facility. Oh, it was so frustrating. I, uh, of anything, so was what did the you end up doing? Tape. 
I, I got just Jubo afterwards, but it was nothing. It was, you know, all of that. I have a great shot of him shooting, like, celebrating, like, 899 or something with okay. his wife behind him in the glass, and he signed that for me. That's nice. Yeah, but, you know, so many times there was pictures that I – frustrating pictures that things that happened to me right. that missed. So remember when – the kissing thing was a big deal in basketball and Isaiah. Oh, and yeah, Magic. Magic, yeah. So Magic was going to kiss Michael. And it was after the game, even not even before the game, but after the game. I ran up with one of the digitals and one of the SB24s. And do you remember when they would do full dumps? Yes, just random. There is, I've seen video of this, of me. I run up, I walk up, and I'm backpedaling, and there's Magic and Jordan, and they kind of fake kiss. And I, and you see Snap them and like nuclear, like, <laughs> and so I'm looking at the camera and I'm shaking the camera. I'm trying to hit it and I do it and it does it again. And so I, I, I they were unusable. They look like Michael J- Jackson had gone to the plastic surgeon too many times. Yeah, and just two white guys just kissing. Just two white guys kissing. And, and so stuff like that frustrates me because it's like, it was an equipment failure, right. and that happens. And so, but I guess it's in my head, <laughs> right? And those were unsavable because they no. were JPEGs. They were exactly. small. They were small anyway. So it was just, it was horrible. That uh, kind of happens now in RAW. You can uh, save it. You can bring it back you a can little bring, bit because of, of the dynamic quality of it. But right. I do have a picture of um, Magic, Michael, and Dennis Rodman in the same frame. Well, that's nice. That, yeah, that's and Rickman was next to me trying to get it that night. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of fun. Uh, oh, those, those were good times. Those were good times. So, you embraced digital though. You didn't fight it in any way. No, I, I knew it was the. I, I've always been kind of an early adopter. I just love technology, you right? Know, so, did you ever put your arms around video in those two mid two thousands when started we're going to platypus workshops? And I did go to a platypus workshop, and and you know, I teach a little bit of iMovie now, which okay. is does the job for a lot of things. So uh, I have an Osmo gimbal for my phone okay and so we make little videos you know i send videos out to my students now we're going to do that now because of the pandemic and remote learning and everything to try and help them through this time to not just survive but thrive that's that's been our mantra right well that's the interesting part so when you felt in 2006 okay i'm going to step away and go somewhere and do something else did you have a plan? Because I remember I was surprised when you did it. Because you were one of the first people. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, Yoder had moved away. Other people were going, but like, I was like, what? Katata's doing what? I, I, had, I felt you was yeah. a staple. I had heard a lot of people talk about having an exit plan. Right, right. That, you know, you weren't going to be able to one day replace your salary if you left the register because there just aren't people out there giving away photo jobs. Right. And, and I was really, it was sort of a midlife crisis. I was like, I was a, now a full-time photo editor and I wasn't really fulfilled by okay. doing that. And I thought, you know, I'll be a wedding photojournalist. <laughs> I'll shoot PR stuff. I'll do that. And I'll start my own business. And it was just horrendous timing because then, you know, the, the financial 
yeah, fall crash. of 2008 happened. And so I had no clients. I had nothing. And um, that was about the time they asked me to start teaching it as an adjunct. And so that opened Helps. up. Sure. And But I did a lot of freelance. I came back to the registry to do freelance later on. And so and I was working for some PR companies. And I was just trying to survive. Right. And you know, if I would have gone back to school at that time, I would have had to go to a program where I would have had to have residency. But okay. now, going back like in 2012, I could do it online. Where there's a lot of places now that you have to do residency like two weeks in the summer or something like that. Right, right. So, and there doesn't exist. Uh, an MFA for photography is a terminal degree. There is no PhD in it. So that allowed me to go into higher education. That's nice. It was it was good that it worked out for you. Do you believe, and I mean, this is something we're going to get into, especially with Biola, that you had the understanding of how business works when you make that jump into freelance? Because that's 99% of photographers' downside. It, it really is. Um, I taught a business class for photography as an adjunct. They asked me, because they don't understand it, one of the assignments was, go find a working professional photographer. Mm-hmm. And ask them about their business plan. Out of 12 people, only one had one. And he was a business major turned photographer, and he was wildly successful. All the other photographers, it's in my head. Well, guess what? There's research that shows that 90% of the people that don't do a business plan make about four times less than the 10% that do. It's, it's just hard facts because we're all Van Gogh, right? right? We yes. don't sell anything until after we die and we aren't successful and because we don't understand how business works. And then the, we get these business people. We don't even speak that language. Yep. Well, especially as a journalist, the thing that really killed me was you don't promote yourself as a journalist. No, you're not supposed to. As a to. business person, that's all you do is promote yourself. So I had to learn how to do that. It, it was school of hard knocks for me, really bad. And I look at all these very talented photographers who don't know how to promote themselves and don't understand who their competitors are, what the threats are, the whole SWAT aspect of, right. of a business plan. And so if we were 25 again, we'd be on Instagram and just promoting ourselves like crazy. Right. But, you know, we are what we are and we've done what we've done. And Do you so, make that a big big thing to preach and teach now at Biola? Yeah. Where you're, you're a professor now. So one, one of, a student called me yesterday uh, that was, these are the best students for me too. She was in our PR program and she be, took one of my classes and okay. became a photographer. But I go, you have the best of both worlds. You understand how to brand yourself. You understand how to make relationships between your public and the business. And then you do the photography too. And so she wants to be one of our uh, internship sites. Okay. And so that is such a huge thing. I tell my students, look, you know, photography, if it's a passion, you're going to figure it out. You're going to learn it. And I can show you some steps and understand some, some basic principles, but you really need to understand business and branding. And if you don't do that, you're never going to be successful. And, and, What's sad is you could have all that and not even really understand how to price it. If you don't price it, you know, with the basic three times, right? You're never going to make any money. Never. You're, you're going to. Annie Leibovitz 
probably the most successful commercial photographer we have had to go bankrupt yeah. because she hired too many people and paid too many people. Spent too much spent money. Spent too much money. Got to get this perfect thing. And it's sad because she's so creative and so talented, but she, does, she needs, there's a book, Good to Great. Right. And it talks about having the dreamer and the accountant. You got to have the bean counter to rein you in, and then you got to have the dreamer to take you places. Right. And so you got to have that, and businesses that have that go on to greatness, and the other ones don't. Right. I don't even believe she owns her images anymore. I think she had to sell those all off. It's it's just sad because she became part of the celebrity yeah. and lost it yeah. all and didn't understand that there is a business side and how it works. And she didn't have a CFO of Annie Leibovitz. It was just Annie being Annie. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Let's bring everybody. Right. You know, 25 people in her entourage. You know, she's MC Hammer. He, right. He, he, he made like $15 million, $30 million, and he gave it all away to his entourage. Right. And that's essentially what photographers do. You know, to have a studio is the dream of most of us. Sure. But once you sign on the dotted line, you, you're not going to make enough money. Right. Most because most, they don't understand. So Yeah, how much you have to make per month just to cover expenses, and you need to do three times more than that to actually have a... And then when you see all those shiny things you want to buy, right? All those new lenses. More lenses, more this, more that. And everybody, you know, most people go out of business. So to have a job, you know, we were talking about Gregory Hines, uh, Heisler, Gregory Heisler. Heisler. Who was one of the most famous, other famous, you know, commercial photographers. Beautiful work. And now he's teaching. Yeah. Because, and I don't know why, but I'm guessing he has a steady paycheck. He has benefits. He can take care of his family and put things away. He's got normal hours. And he can do, during the summer, the fun work, too. I mean, Noctway, he would do commercial work so that he could support his passion, right. which was war photography. And so that that is just the way of the world. And the people that figure it out are the ones that can be successful. But most of us don't because we think a business plan is too hard. Right. And it's not being taught in college with these guys. It's not. And what drives me nuts, I was just telling this with somebody <laughs> yesterday, is it like it, and they just passed this for the Cal State Fuller, or for the CSUs in, in California. It's now mandatory to take like women's studies or um, another studies program, but it's not mandatory to take business or economics like that that should be mandatory like you have to take a pe class at cal state fullerton why why do i got to give you two units and 800 bucks when you're not mandatory a business class for anybody or even just like how to handle a a, a checkbook right <laughs> they just don't or understand what your 401k is right or or how to understand what retirement and long-term money management they don't teach that. No. So is that something now that you're at Biola and with these life experiences, you can give these kids in photojournalism, journalism, and, and being a, a now a professor, can you help we have, we pass have, these skills on? We have uh, come to Jesus meetings but is, <laughs> where we sit down right. and talk to him and say, look, um, what do you want to do? You know, it's expensive to go to school here. Right. I don't want you to have crushing debt. What are, what are you going to do to create wealth in your life? What what path are you going to go down and how are you going to achieve that? How are you going to pay off your, your school bills? And so we talk about things where like 
most of my students don't come in. I think I have one that wanted to work at a newspaper. And I tell them, you know, if you work at a newspaper, you're never going to make a lot of money. Right. I guarantee you it's going to be X. Exactly. And so, it's never going to be Y. You're it's, never going to make so 150000 One of the things we talk about is that I really push them to is to go to where the money is sloshing, right? So when we were doing it, money was moving from network TV to cable. Right. So my brother-in-law was in sales in cable and did very well. And now where is it going? It's in social media. So Netflix has a billion dollars to make movies because all the money's there. Right. So if you get into some sort of visual storytelling in that aspect, the money's going to be there to support you and you're going to have a good living. If you could somehow get in visual in the tech industry, you're going to do great. Sure. But if you're going to try and make a living at the at the local newspaper, it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. And I try and be uh, transparent about that and, and be a realist because I don't want to see them come back to me. Well, you lied to me. Right. You, know, you didn't in tell 10 years, me this. You didn't tell me that I was, I was going to be poor and not be. And right. I, no, I, 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 I want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. So we have real, real talks where we sit down and, and, you know, this is what I think you should do and how you can make it. Our broadcast, you know, students, they're all over the place. They're doing fantastic. You know, we, one of our students is Annabelle Munoz on Channel 7. Okay. Um, she's doing fantastic. But that's a number two market. It takes a long time to get to right. a number two market. So you have to plan it out. Most of these students, they graduate, they go in a hundred market or less, you know, and they're making nothing, but they get to do everything. Right. And they learn it and they move up. They're the cameraman, they're the photo- you know, they're editing, they're in they're, front of the camera. Yeah, they're doing everything. They're a one-man band. And so, you know, we one of our students, two of our students just, one went to Duluth and one's in uh, Grand Junction. <laughs> and it's going to be cold, but they're getting, they're excited and they're going right. to do, they're going to do great work. They were in my class during the pandemic and they had to scrape stuff off the internet to make their packages and we had all these trips to downtown LA that got delayed or oh, scrapped. Man. And so it, we have, we do fun things. Now is, is, fo- is it photo? Is it under communication or what's the, the vision? Or I guess we are, we, we just changed our name. We are a digital journalism and media. Okay. That's our school. Now, is there any business, uh, a business division or, or there's any? a school of business. Okay. And so I encourage our students to take a business class, just a basic business Good class. for you. There's PR, which is, we just split from BR. Uh, PR is all about branding and creating those relationships and understanding how to serve people. And so I encourage them to take class in that too, because yes. you, you've got yes. to brand yourself. Yes. So with or those two things, you're on your own. they get, yeah, you are. And so you get smart. This, this, this alumna that I talked to yesterday has a very successful wedding business and she is smart. She hired someone to do her website. She's hiring people. She understands that she can't do it all or she's going to have to work 150 hours a week right. and get nothing done well. And she was part of the PR department. So she understands how that works and the business of it. So, you know, um, not every student 
is innately aware of how to do that. So we try and show them. And then we go play, you know, take students out to the desert and shoot astrophotography. Right. And you get to talk to them and get to know them a little bit and try and help them navigate this thing called life. Right. What's right? your what's your teaching style? Are you very hands-on or are you sitting back and communicating, giving a lot of slides? And- I'm hands-on. I, they all say I'm too sarcastic. And uh, <laughs> I, I, that's just who I am. And I have fun because you know, actually standing up on that podium, it's almost like you're a stand-up comedian and you're like performing right. in, such, in a certain way because – for hour, hour and a half, you've got a three hour classes, yeah. you know, that, you know, think about what the young people today are used to seeing, like, boom, boom, right. boom, 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 eight second. And then here you are going to talk to them and lecture to them. Oh, you know, it's, I've had to create this style. The big thing now is chunked videos where if you're going to teach online, you do 10 minute sections, you can maybe string two together and it keeps their interest. And so I try and talk that way. I show, you know, it's auditory, kinesthetic. We always have a time where we go put our hands on the camera and do things because they have to drive it. I can't drive it. And there's so many cameras out there. I don't know every camera. No, yeah, you no. Know. So I've got a Fuji. I've got yeah. a Pentax. I've got good a, for you. Right. No, I don't know how to use that. So, yeah. but it's you know teaching f stops and 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 shutter speeds and that's fun and interesting and getting them to not center focus everything because that's where the focusing mechanism right. is. Right, it, it moves. It's okay. Yeah. And learning how to do composition and then saying, look. If you don't understand lighting, you don't understand anything. It's right. called photography. Right. So you're manipulating light. We just start looking for light and classic lighting, you know, portraiture settings and doing that. All of that to me is exciting. It's, I hate to say this, but I loved being a photojournalist, but I thrive being an educator. That's great. And so I, I love what I do. To me, it's not work. And I, That's my perfect. successes, when I see a student that comes back to me and says, oh, professor, you know, you blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm, I, it's, it's satisfying. And not all of them come back, you know. Or like what was amazing when you said that I shared something with you 20 years ago or whatever. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm glad. Because you know, usually I, I just talk a lot. Right. Well, it's stuck. And you were damn right. Because on that Thursday, because it was Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, I ran around like an idiot setting up all these remotes and you had the cover. And I was like, but I got all these great photos. And you're like, yeah, it's kid. It's uh, between Arizona and where it was. Arizona. And that was the number one scene. Who, who was the point guard? It was uh, Andre. Uh, no, Bibby. Oh, was it Bibby? Yeah. yeah. This is a long time yeah, ago, Michael. Uh, Miles Davis was this, on the team. Oh, man. Yeah. Lou was alive <sighs> and kicking. Yeah, and, yeah. And then they won on that Saturday, and then that's where we had the big juby in the throne and cutting down the net and reflection. But that's what was wanted and needed. Yeah. And you just part a little knowledge on the uh, kit and understood it, took and it, you, and, and understood it. And you took it, it and run. Right. Ran with it. So... What, what do kids need to learn then in school? Like, what's their... Like, if you were... Even if it was PR or any part, what what do you say, kid? Take this course. Okay, I don't so, care if you're in my class. Yeah, take this course. I think the basics come down to this. It's an analogy I use. I'm like, okay, how many of you played sports? And they're like, oh yeah, I did this. I yeah. played the little. And I'm like, okay, how many hours a week did you have to practice to get decent? I go, you know, I watched Tiger Woods 
practice. And I think he practiced 10,000 hours to become a master at it. You know, I watched Kobe when he was a rookie just throw up air balls, but he was the first guy there and the last guy to leave. And at the end, he was who he was. So how many, how much better are you going to get as a photographer when you pull it out five minutes a week or 30 minutes a week right. to do your assignment? You are not going to get better. And the light, I see the light bulbs go on in most of their heads because we've all played sports at some point. And so I'm like, look, I, I know the students that are going to get better are the ones that I see walking around and they're carrying their camera. And they're just, it becomes part of them and they become passionate about it. Now, the classes that they take, I just tell them, look, you you got to learn to brand yourself. You got to learn some basic business. So take a business class, take a PR class, even if it's only one. But hey, guess what? You can learn anything on the internet. I'm like, part of the being an adult is a great meme is learning how to Google stuff. <laughs> and if you need to learn something, you can Google it. Because someone's done it before. Someone's done all that hard work. Learn how to manipulate your camera so that it's instinctual and then practice it. And, you know, maybe you'll be the next, you know, August Sanders or DNA, you know, Arbus or somebody. So, right, Eugene Smith, any of those, yeah, somebody. Uh, you know, it's just doing, and we, we all get 24 hours. Right, mm -hmm. how you spend it. That's right. It's up to you. And so I've had some great talks with some of my students that come in, and I'll say, You're one of the most talented uh, freshmen I've ever seen. It's up to you if you get passed up when you're when you're a senior graduating, right? Because you didn't work hard enough. And I've sadly had ones that have gotten passed up and I've had those that worked their tails off and passed them up and they're, they've become awesome now. So it's, you'll learn it at some point in your life. I hope you learn it when you're 25 and not when you're 45. Right. That's great. I mean, is that where, and I want to talk to this cause you and I both have this, I guess, new found passion of photographing the night I mean, is that something that uh, for you was like a, an, a constant learning and then you found astrophotography and then well, jumped in feet first? Because was it, it Hale-Bopp back in the 90s, that yes, comet? Yes. So I remember having a 300 and trying to take a picture with it and dragging my little three-year-old boy outside at night and saying, look at this, look at it. It was, it was so exciting. But I hadn't really... That was just like my dip my toe in the water. Right. But for some reason, over the last three or four years, I've been like enamored with shooting the full moon. Now, does that have any correlation from your now you're teaching and you're learning as well? Yeah, that's what I, 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 I want to keep learning like that whole thing about not learning after 25. Right. I want to keep pushing myself and like I'll have sessions with my students where I'm like, hey. Well, let's pull this light out here. So you're learning a little a fire from them. And trying to get them excited about it. So That's we'll great. do different things. And then so the, the the moon stuff, most of them, you know, they're, oh, that's late. I don't know. Right. Oh, that's kind of late. Right. I don't want to go out there. I mean, the desert, that's really far. And But, you know, some of them get excited about it and want to go. And so I'm like, hey, I'm learning stuff. Like even there's things that the last things that I did astrophotography, I'm like, oh, I'm making mistakes. I'm, I've got it too, 
the 500 rule. I've, you right, know, yeah. all of that stuff. There's some star trails that I don't like in there. So I'm still learning and I'm excited that I'm learning and it's something that um, is going to define who I am. He didn't stop. You know, the horrible story about Gene Harbrecht who lost his life right. last week. And it's like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and regret anything. And I have no idea about Gene. He was a great guy. Right. But, Wonderful man. But that makes you think about we're all only a breath away from eternity, right? It, it could be over so fast. And it was such a senseless thing with him. And so for me, you know, I I dabble in things. I'm I'm a woodworker. I, you know, I make things and I like to keep, con you know, adding to my photography so that I need to stay current for these students. You know, I'm in charge That's of the, unbelievable. That's great. I'm in charge of the internship program that we had an internship yeah. with you. And so these students, they need to have life experience so they can go get that job and understand what it's like out there when they're like, oh, I don't want to do projects with anybody. Uh, guess what? When you go in the real world, that's all you do is work with other right. people. A team. <laughs> yes. So you got to learn to be able to do that. So those kind of life lessons, um, I think, all encapsulate with me continuing to learn, continuing to do new stuff. And that's kind well, of what I want to do. Well, that's, the, that's the perfect professor is the one that's still shooting. Not the one that's like, ah, oh, 30 years ago, this is how we did it. No, <laughs> you're still out there humping your ass in the middle of the desert or the Sierras, making pictures. Now, it might not be commercial work, but you've got a camera in your hand and you're learning. And, and yeah, and because. And you're loving it. I still want to get the newest and brightest camera that's out there, right? We all right, do. Right. We can't help it. So I got to figure shiny out a way to objects. buy something. That's right. It's nice and shiny and I want it. So I. I you know, that's another motivating thing for me is to, yeah, well, ooh, I got to show my wife why I need this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where, where did this little nighttime love come from? Because it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's just sort of evolved. And, and, you know, I was shooting the full moon and then I realized. Where were you shooting it? Just in the desert, well, randomly uh, in the house? Uh, or we, was the I was trying to get. The flight path of LAX okay. and get a plane in the moon. And right. I got that. And I was like, okay, I got that. So what's the next thing? And I'm like, well, <laughs> and that I, happens every month. Yeah. yeah. And the moon came up at Biola over um, over this cool uh, parking structures thing. And so I got that. I'm like, okay, that's good. What else could I do? And I did – I copied and I thought I did better the Goulding shot it over this neon sign uh -huh, right and so I went and did that I'm like okay what else and I was thinking well if I got up early I could maybe get the setting moon with a surfer in front of him or right, something right you know and then I was like well hey so I go out to Joshua Tree on the darkest night last year and I went Oh my gosh, look at the Milky Way. Now, I've you? never seen that like that before. <laughs> I just kind of went crazy. Had you been there before? Or, I, I or had with the idea of. Not at night, not like that. I went hiking in the day and like. It's magical. It is. There's something incredibly. It drives me. I love it. Yes. I could live there it's and shoot. Gorgeous. And so about 
Oh gosh, this is really going to date me. Before I got married, a bunch of my buddies and I went hiking in Mammoth and we got lost the first night and we climbed up and we were above Mammoth Mountain. We were 10,000 feet or whatever. And we just slept out in our bags under the stars, no tents. We were backpacking. Right. And I was like, look at all the meteors. Well, we didn't know the, that was the week of the Perseids. Oh, my. And so I'm like, is it always like this? <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is great. So over the years, I've always thought about that and said, I need to capture that. And so I started. That's a bucket list thing. So last year, we went to Mono Lake on the darkest night of the year and brought up my whole, my whole family went. And that they, typically happens in the fall, right? No, that, it's in August. It's the second or, uh, August. middle of okay. August. And so we went there and I got those got them it was great and then i was like hey look there's the milky way over there and so that funny thing yeah there's that gorgeous thing and i started getting more and more enamored with that and so it's kind of a dual thing so there's the moon there's the star trails with the north star right and then there's the milky way now i saw a guy who takes pictures with the star tracker where it moves your 35 millimeter camera with the, with the stars with the stars so it doesn't get the star trail and you can take pictures of like andromeda or vega or something and i'm like oh do i want to that seems expensive do i want to get into that yeah but, maybe we'll split that cost yes you and I. <laughs> yes but it's it's just another thing and it's like the world is different at night and and the milky way is always there in the daytime we just yes. can't see it right because it it's like we're a tennis ball and we're surrounded by a hula hoop and it's always there and it just changes positions where it gets flatter and then right. straight above. But I'm, that just intrigues me. And so I'm excited about that. Right. No, I mean, that's it. It's, I, I find it absolutely fascinating and beautiful to be shooting at night, whether you go when it's a full moon and shoot at Joshua Tree or you go out when there's no moon. And shoot. I mean, you can have so much fun and make so many images. I think people don't understand what they're missing at nighttime just because, yes, we're manipulators of light. But to go out there and take a 20-second shot or a four-hour shot, you can do some unbelievable things. Yeah, it is. it is Like you said, it's magical. Right. There, it's like seeing that first print come up in the tray yes, right? back in the day. Oh, and, and there's something about when it gets the sun goes down and it gets darker and you first see Vega because that's right. the first star that comes out. And then, oh, look, there's Polaris. And, oh, look, there's the Big Dipper. There's our some there's, yeah, It's Saturn, all there. Jupiter, everybody starts there. popping. Yep. I think it's I think it has something too and it slows me down and I become more creative out there mm. because I'm not taking 12 frames a second. I'm not taking even a you know a, a photo at 125th. I'm taking 20 second long shots, 60 second long shots. Sometimes they're 20 minute long shots. Now I've got to be patient. I got to wait 20 minutes. Am I right? No. Yeah, change. what do you do while you're waiting 20 minutes, change. 40 yeah, minutes? Right. <laughs> right. Or a lot of times where there's no Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. There's so you're not on your phone. Can't get on your phone. Yeah. Settle down. I, and what I end up doing is having conversations with my kids oh, or my yes, wife. Yes. Because we're in the middle of nowhere. And it's just us, nature, and little bugs going about and looking at the stars. It's it is beautiful. And we forget that. Especially so, you know, somebody had said during the pandemic, we should ban all social media for a week and see what happens. Right. Wouldn't that be just wonderful? Absolutely. Some of my best times are when we're out as a family in Joshua Tree. There's no 
internet access at all. And for six or eight hours, it's just us. Yeah. No one, you know, you don't look over and have a conversation with somebody and their phone's in their face. And they'll remember those times. Yes. Yeah. It's just hanging out with dad. There's a bonding time right. on camping on road trips, right? Yeah, absolutely. Remember it's... the time we broke down in Adelanto for <laughs> nine hours? Well, that's your story recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, do you have something you want to try to hit and, and shoot at night? Because you've gone to, what is it, uh, recently you went out to, is it Manzanar? Uh, we were at Manzanar, and then we were at the Trona Pinnacles. Right. Now, Manzanar, was that, that was a personal thing, right? Uh, yeah, in a way. I mean, that's not where my family was interned. They were interned in Poston, which is in Arizona. But okay. Manzanar is probably the most um, accessible. Okay, that too, right? yeah. Because it's right off 395. So uh, we were out in the back where the there's an obelisk. And there's, it's a cemetery basically. Right. And it's all groomed. And we went out there and it's during the pandemic and we're not even really supposed to be out there, but we just went out there and it was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was like, it was spiritual because there's no sounds. It's right. quiet. There's gorgeous. We saw a couple other cars. My wife felt safe because there's, you know, it's groomed there. There's no snakes <laughs> coming to get you. And we just sat out there. We actually had Wi-Fi access and we spoke to my son. From the building probably or? May, I don't know, but we could hit something and we talked to him. He's, he's in San Francisco and we talked to him for about an hour and just had great conversations just talking. And we just sat out there and then um, it was just beautiful. And then I drove my wife to the front of the property and shot the guard tower, which was something that was on my bucket list. And I really happy with that shot. It's a beautiful photo. And um, just like you said, slowing down and doing these bucket list things and being in the quiet and the, you feel very insignificant because of the size of everything and how far you have to drive and to get to places but it's just and when this it's a new moon there's there's no moon up so there's right. just these incredible stars that people for eons have seen that we forget because of light pollution right i know when i, I took my wife a couple of weeks ago it's like you know we have a great relationship and I take her out and I show her the stars and I felt like I bought her a Tiffany's ring or something because she was just so enamored and shocked in the Milky Way and I just felt like, yeah, I just spent a lot of money. Some brownie points. Yeah, yeah. nice job. <laughs> but she she loved it. She's like, I want to come back. Let's get an Airbnb and so we can stay, you know, till three, four in the morning and we don't have to drive back. And I mean, it was, I think it's a, I think it's a photography avenue more people need to shoot and it yeah. makes them slow down and be more pure and get the damn thing off of continuous high and just get a tripod and push a button and do some compositions and get out there and make some pictures. Yeah, make some pictures and be creative. It's, uh, you know, when it all boils down to it, it's like this magical thing that happens that we get to do for a living. Right. And so when you do it for, when it's not always a client, it's just for pure enjoyment. There's something special about that. Right. And it's nice to get paid, right? Yes, absolutely. We'll take that. And, and some of those, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to get some of those up on, you know, Getty or iStock or something, because those are unbelievable quality images that need to be sold. They, I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. I got to get them perfect. Well, <laughs> at some point. Up, because that check at wants to come. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's, let's leave them with this. Do you have any advice for any students in the photo industry coming in? 
somebody who's a sophomore or junior in high school looking at colleges, thinking about getting into photo? First, I would say, look, to make your parents happy, look where the money's flowing. Okay. What industry has the money? And right now, it's social media has the money. That's where it is. So, you know, we have one of our students that was a storyteller for Snapchat. Okay. And so, hey, that's a great place to start off to think about what is your end game. And in the news industry, we always did backup plans. You know, what's the deadline? Well, it's going to be March 12th. Well, if it's March 12th by March 10th, we have to do this. And you go back and back and back and back. Right. So if you want to be a professional photographer and make your living in the visual arts, you need, well, what kind of education do I need? You know, is it going to be enough with just an undergraduate? Do I want to teach? Right. You know, if you want to teach, you're going to have to have, you know, some higher degrees. Sure. Um, and then there's that become a student of not only the technical aspects, but of the esoteric aspects, right? You know, what makes a great photographer? What is it, you know, studying light? You know, we, we tell people to study light, but they don't. They get out there with the camera and you've heard the horrible stories, you know, they get hired to do a wedding and they really don't know what they're doing. And so um, it's straight up noon and they forgot they were shooting at 3,200 ISO. Uh. And so everything's high contrast and horrible and they can't save it and all of that and they get sued. And so you, you need to become a student of the craft, right? Uh, uh, the analogy of sports or a musician. You know, if you're going to be the greatest guitar player that ever lived, if you're going to be Jimi Hendrix, he practiced a whole lot. Yes. So you have to understand your camera and your craft. You, you know, watch videos about it. You know, get out there and, and be able to slow the shutter speed down. You know, um, yeah, since we banged on Carlson a lot, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give him, I'll give him a, a, a kudo. When he would take vacation photos, because we would do travel photos. Right. That would be like, um, like a feather in the cap, right? You got mm -hmm. to go with Gary a couple times. His ability to shoot different kinds of travel photos was one of the best. Right. And he would, you know, he would do um, silhouettes. He would slow the shutter speed down. He would s speed it up. And he would just get this great variety of imagery and um, to tell the story. And to be able to do that is such a... It's it's a gift, right? And as a as a new photographer, you have to study. You know, I tell my guys copy some, find somebody and copy their work, right? You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And then make it your own, right? Right. When it's time to start doing it, make it your own, because then you'll have that skill. You know, I looked at like uh, Richard Avedon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some of his portraiture is incredible, but the, his work in fashion, he talked about how he always thought that clothes should move, even in a still picture. So if you look at, especially his old stuff, everything's always moving. Yes. There's movement, 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 movement. And so that was his signature. He started out, <laughs> he was a maritime photographer. He was basically the ID photographer on a ship during the war. He did nothing but take mugs of people. That's it. But he became the best mug taker possible. Right. And so he evolved from that. And his one of his one of his uh, projects that I admire the most is 
um, in the American West, yes. where he just got a white sheet and he said, look, it doesn't matter. Every It's just them. It's just who they are. Right. And he got, you know, beautiful the cr- portraits. The critics wanted to say, oh, you shot all the weirdest people that you could find. But he shot the interest, most interesting people he could find mm-hmm. with who they were. And there was really nothing. And so his style, it it touched advertising, wedding, uh, fashion, everything. He, he influenced everything just because he said, look, we're going to boil it down to where it's just the person. And I, I love that work. It influenced my work so much. And he was prolific until he died in his 80s. Yes, you know, he so. was. And that's one of the people you need to find someone to emulate their work and learn how to do it and then make it yours. That's perfect advice. That's great. Let's leave it with that. Thanks Mike, for having me today. It was great. Let's go out to the desert and take some pictures. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Michael. All right. Thank you. That was awesome. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please subscribe and hit the like button where you just listened. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter 